Welcome to Whiskey and Wonder. All right, y'all. Settle down. <laughs> Hello. Settle down. Hello, everybody. This is not <laughs> episode 100. It's not. Oh, we thought it was for a very long time. Yes. It's not. It is not. This is episode 99. Yes. Megan and I can't count. Nope. <laughs> and this is Whiskey and Wonder. Uh, uh, I'm Tyler. That's Megan. If hi. you didn't catch that earlier. Um, yeah. So Megan and I were, were talking about this and even uh, Jamie made a celebratory cookie cake for us. And we were going through the pre-show stuff <laughs> and looking at it and like, wait a minute, we misnumbered here. <laughs> this so, is not episode 100. This is 99. So... Yep. Jamie, I'll talk about it in the open segment, but went through this huge traumatic story to get oh, us no. <laughs> an episode 100 cookie cake. Oh, no. She's and the best. <laughs> it's not even episode 100. Oh, so. boy. Well. Thank you, Jamie. <laughs> yes, thank you. We're starting off on a great, on a good foot. Um, <laughs> oh, we're just going to dive into it. Um, yep. Oh, what we do here is every yeah. week, Tyler and I get together, we review whiskey, and we teach the other something that has made us wonder. Yes, and today's a little bit of a special special thing, because I wasn't here last week, I'm going to do two whiskeys at once. Actually, not at once, but... He's doing two whiskey. I'm yeah. doing one whiskey. She's doing one, I'm doing two. I live here, so it's not, not that no. big a deal. He, he doesn't have to drive I can, anywhere. I can stumble to my room, and it's <laughs> fine. Um... So I will be doing the whiskey that Megan and Jamie did last week. I have actually had it before. So um, I guess on that note, we're just going to dive into the announcements. Not mm -hmm. that we have a ton. Um, you know what? I just realized what we're going to do next week for our 100th. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll uh i just looking at the announcements and i was about to say go vote for the infinity bottles well our bourbon infinity bottles getting pretty full pretty darn full so it maybe, might be maybe it we'll, might be a 100 episode yeah maybe we'll crack special. that open for the 100th episode um just to see what that blend is like um if you want to vote for what goes in the infinity bottles you can do that um at our Patreon, which is uh, patreon.com slash whiskey and wonder. I think it's two bucks a month to go vote for that. You can be nice and vote things that we rate highly, or you can be mean and vote things that we dislike, like when Megan rated very old Barton a zero. Um, <laughs> gross. There's also a couple other tiers that get you some uh, discounts on the store and get you early access to the episodes and whatnot. Um, so if you want, you can check all that stuff out. At patreon.com slash whiskey and wonder. Yep. Um, <clears throat> we do have a store on our website, whiskeyandwonder.com. We've got t shirts, stickers, all sorts of goodies over there. So if you want to check that out, that's uh, whiskeyandwonder.com slash shop. I got it right that time. I've been <laughs> practicing. Um, another thing is. Uh, talked about the Infinity Bottle, talked about Patreon, talked about the store. Uh, if you want to see whiskeys that we have done, um, you know, especially if you want to want a recommendation for yourself or someone that, you know, you know, maybe, maybe you don't know a lot about whiskeys. Maybe you, maybe you listen more for the wonder segment. You can check out whiskeyandwonder.com. We've got a page on there with, all of the whiskeys broken down by type. Mm -hmm. uh, it's got the episode they were featured in, if you want a little bit more detail on it. And we also have what Megan and I both rated him. And, uh, you know, if we had a guest on, like last week, Jamie was on, so we put her rating up there as well. Now, yep. there are some things we've done that are single barrel and not things that everybody can get to, and we denote all that stuff. And there's actually a couple episodes at the very way beginning that we weren't smart enough to rate. Actually, I think randomly, like we started rating in episode three or four and then skipped episode seven. Yeah. I don't, so, we're, we're attempting. Yeah. We, we actually, uh, probably can go back and do that one again. If memory serves, I think I still have that. Yes, I do. Um, so yeah, if you want to uh, want a recommendation or want to see some things that we like, 
definitely check that out. We got some other cool stuff on the website, biographies, uh, a little bit about the different types of whiskey, you know, so on and so forth. And we also have a great uh, sponsor page if you feel so inclined to help us out. We get a little bit of kickback when you order through our sponsors. So yes. we appreciate that. Yes. And thank you to everyone who does sponsor the podcast. And anyway, those of you who uh, are our Patreons or who uh, use our sponsors, um, who send us a little something through PayPal, um, and then all of you who like, subscribe, rate, review, you guys help us out. You help us climb the charts and get us seen, and that's what keeps us going. Yeah, and um, yeah, I can't, I can't echo that enough. Thank you guys for for making this happen. Um, it's, you know, costs money to do this. And it does. Without you guys, we don't know, we don't know if we could do it. Um, Facts. But I, I, I want to ask the folks out there. So please comment if you see this on YouTube, which if you do, like and subscribe. <laughs> um, you know, if uh, we we got some numbers here recently that I'm a little confused by as far as our... our <laughs> I'm excited. Our list, I am. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I'm excited if they're real, but I don't think they're real. So we got <laughs> some numbers, and so it seems like there's a lot like a lot of listen listens coming through Amazon music. So I'm just curious, does anybody, does anybody actually listen through Amazon music or, or is there some glitch in the program that's showing us an ungodly amount of listens uh, <laughs> through that? So please comment, email us. You can find our contact information down below. Uh, the best way to do that is going to be to email us and, or, uh, do the uh, get us on social media, or uh, there's a comment page at whiskeyandwonder.com where you can send us comments. So mm-hmm. those are going to be the best ways, and those are all going to be in the show notes or the description wherever you're you're at. So let us know. And uh, I think on that note, we're just going to go ahead and move it on down the line. Cool beans. Opening the bottle. Nope. What are you doing? The open segment. All right. You Uh, you guys just got to (laughs) hear the future. (laughs) Um, Yeah, the open segment. It's, I got lost on my, on your to do, on my uh, schedule schedule over (laughs) here because I was, there was accidentally something had gotten typed over here and I was deleting it and I got lost. Uh, So, yeah, the open segment. Uh, Well, um, I started to tell you guys, uh, Jamie went and got a cookie cake in celebration of our 100th episode, which is next week, not this week. Oops. Um, And apparently she went through a hell of an ordeal trying to find this cake. And then the bakery was closed, so she couldn't have them ice it. So she, like, went and got icing herself and, like, sat and iced it in the car and... Um, she's just adorable and I appreciate her so much. Yes, we appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) And it was all for next week. Yeah. So, well, me and Tyler enjoyed the cake though. So like, yeah, we did. Yes, it was absolutely delicious. (laughs) Thank you, Jamie. Um, yeah, that's, uh, I don't know if that was my screw up or Megan's screw up. I think it was mine, but, uh, (laughs) yeah, we screwed up on that one. We can't count. Nope. We we're so smart. It is. Yep. So, uh, I will leave her to tell the story for whenever she comes on here, if she wants to. Um, but I just know it was an ordeal to make that cookie cake happen. So I feel real bad. Um, but in other news, uh, Tyler, how's your week going? Um, well, I'm trying to remember and think back to it, um, what, what what did you do when you were gone? Where were you? What? Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Um, <laughs> it, it's been a week. <laughs> Guys, It's it's been two weeks, two weeks in a row um, that have been. Uh, so two weeks ago. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't have said this because I wasn't here for the open segment. Last. I spent the entire week. Uh, you usually with my job, there's, there's a little bit of downtime mm-hmm. throughout the week. Some, 
some lulls. And two weeks ago, I just Monday to Friday, seven to four, running around like a chicken with my head cut off. It mm. was it was a long week. Um, but I made it through it, you know. And so last week, last weekend I was not here. Uh, you know, most people know it was uh Martin Luther King Jr. Day on the sixteenth of December Monday. So uh I was fortunate enough to have that day off of work and was invited uh, by some very good friends up to their mountain cabin for a quick uh, quick one-nighter. Nice. And uh, that was uh, Sunday into Monday, and, you know, it, it was fun. We had a nice, nice, uh, we spent a night playing cards and having fun and nice. just catching up and hanging out and... The, spent Monday uh, hanging out in a hot tub and, you know, having some whiskey and nice. So it was, uh, it was, it was quite a good time. And then, then this past week happened at work, and it wasn't as busy as uh, the previous week, but it was still very, very busy. And uh, I'm looking forward a little more to this week. There's a little bit less stuff on my schedule, but that doesn't mean it's going to be less busy. Because stuff tends to pop up. Um, but, yeah, that's why I missed last week. Um, it's been it's been a whirlwind, honestly. I, yeah? I'm struggling. Yeah, we... I'm struggling. It feels like a lifetime ago. Shelby and I went to dinner. <laughs> we went to dinner last Wednesday. And that feels like an eternity ago. <laughs> uh, because my... Mom and stepdad called on Friday and were like, yeah, you want to go out to eat? We want to go here. The same place. So Shelby and I went back to the same restaurant two days later with with my mom and stepdad. And then yesterday had a family gathering for all the January birthdays. And today... uh, (laughs) Today, Megan and I had we had another realization here. Uh, so both of us researched for tonight, <laughs> <laughs> and so I spent the morning researching. And Megan walks in and goes, "It's my it's my week, right?" Uh, no. Well, <laughs> so uh, now it now it is Megan's week because uh, mine is most definitely going to end up being a two parter. So we just decided to I'll 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 go next week. Yep, and then I'll. Go the following week, and we'll we'll do that. But yeah, that's uh, my weekend flew by, and here I am Sunday night, and I'm staring down, going to work again tomorrow, and exhausted. Yeah, still exhausted. Fair, I feel that. Um, well, but overall, I want to. I, I do want to say I know a lot of that sounds like complaining, but it, it's been good. It's just been busy. Okay, so I, I'm I'm not. Complaining about it. It's just been busy and I'm tired. Fair. You're you're allowed to be tired. All right. And hopefully this week is better. It's easier. Um, our dog, so obviously we have pod dog Navia, but Jamie and I also have another dog named Brooks who uh, I'm working on training him to get to Navia's level right now. He's a little uh, Australian cattle dog. He's adorable and... Love him to death, but he is uh, the epitome of Muffin from Bluey. If anyone's ever seen the kids' show Bluey, um, he's a little crackhead. And uh, so he, is Bo. Oh no! I almost got an Australian cattle dog. Yeah, I almost went with that instead of an Australian Shepherd. I prefer the Australian Shepherd, but I love my cattle dog too. Uh, he's just an idiot. So. This week, um, Jamie noticed that he cracked his big top tooth uh, in multiple spots. Oof. And then today, right before I got here, she was like, his other one's cracked too. So both teeth on both sides are cracked. He has an appointment with an appointment with the vet tomorrow, and they're probably just going to rip both of those guys out. 
Um, so I'm sure I'll have more next week with you guys uh, to let you know how he's doing and what they did about his teeth. But that's the only really new exciting thing in, a, in my life this week is just my dog is going to cost us money. You know, dogs. Fuck. <laughs> you know, I'm... <clears throat> I'm lucky enough to have gotten in. Uh, my company began offering uh, pet insurance. Mm -hmm. And when they did, it was one of those like, <laughs> they realized after the first year that we can't offer that plan. It's mm -hmm. too good. Oh, but you're already in. But I'm already in. Uh, so basically, I paid $250 out of pocket, and then they pay 90%. Nice. Yeah. And his, flea and, good. his flea and tick costs over $250 or almost $250. So. Oh, sweet. So it pays for itself real it, fast. Yeah. So That's awesome. Any any kind of work or anything he needs to have done is is 10% out of my pocket, and it, and it covers dental and all the things. All the things. So Nice. Yep. Well, you ready to actually let's actually get into, move on? Let's move. Wouldn't into it the be funny future? if I hit the open segment <laughs> this time? Opening the bottle. I hope it didn't sound like that for you guys. Yeah, it just crackled like hell. I hope that was just on our end. Yeah, me too. I don't. Well, I don't know what would have caused that. I don't. That was weird. It was. It was like. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> Today, we are drinking um, a Colorado whiskey. We are drinking Breckenridge Spiced Whiskey. Um, we have done a Breckenridge uh, whiskey before. I think we did the Breckenridge bourbon yep. back in episode 14. Yep, that is correct. We both gave it a six. All right, so this is another Breckenridge Distillery. Here is uh, from their website. Breckenridge Distillery is the world's highest distillery. Founded in 2008, the Breckenridge Distillery is most widely known for its blended bourbon whiskey, a high rye mash American-style whiskey. Breckenridge bourbon is one of the most highly awarded craft bourbons, and it has all sorts of different awards. Uh, since coming online in 2008 and releasing its first vodka and bourbon three years later, Breckenridge Distillery has quickly become an award-winning producer of fine spirits. Being designated one of the top three bourbons in the U.S., how it all came to be, however, stems from a mix of just the right ingredients, a hint of luck, and a deep love for quality whiskey. Philosophically for me, quality is the only thing that matters, says Nolt, who I'm assuming is the founder. Uh, if you want to have quality in whiskey, there is so much heritage that you just can't ignore. Um... From the little bit I've been able to read about the Breckenridge Spiced Whiskey, uh, this is a whiskey that um, is spiced very much like a rum from what I've been able to read. Um, and I guess it, but people say it still like respects the whiskey part of it so i don't know we're gonna see what it what it's like um i'd like to take one minute i uh, i i partially want to apologize but i don't know if i need to apologize so i'm pretty sure someone gave us this i think it was your dad but i'm not 100 percent sure so, please, if it's been sitting in my cabinet for a long time, um, we've been we've just had so many other things, and it, it, honestly, it kind of got pushed to the back. So, um, I'm pretty sure this is my dad, Papa Cross. I think yes, I think so too. But please reach out and let us know if you gave us this. We want to give proper thanks. Um, but whoever you are, if anybody did give this to us, I'm pretty sure somebody did though. Thank you for, for donating this. For sure. Thank you so much. Um, now, I do want to say uh, I have poured myself the Blackened as well. 
but I am going to primarily focus on on uh, the Breckenridge. So I've been smelling it as Tyler's been talking, and it smells like a fucking rum. It oh, smells sure. like Christmas. Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh. Yeah, it smells like that. Maybe not Christmas, but that stupid cider, that hot cider that they do. Oh. That's what it smells like to me. Oh. I hate that. Oh, it stinks so bad. Um, Sorry, Breckenridge. I. <laughs> um, I can see why people are saying this is spiced like a rum. Um, because to me, it smells very much like a rum. I'm struggling to find whiskey smells. Yeah, it smells. Yeah, I can see that. It smells like a cinnamon rum. Yeah. But all I get's that cinnamon, and it's like a. It's Smack just like that nasty, uh, hot apple cider stuff that they do around the holidays, and I, ugh. Um, so I'm not like, ugh, like Tyler is, but I do get what he's saying. There's definitely like a hot apple cider type smell to it. Um, I'm getting traditional kind of rum smells. It's very, not, not very whiskey. Um, I don't know. I don't really know how to describe it. Um, cinnamon, yes. Um, but then I'm getting like some, I, like spices that I'm not used to having in a whiskey. It smells like. (sighs) I, so I'm, I'm going to save this. Because I just tasted it, and I know how to describe it, but I'm not going to say anything until we do talk about the tasting. Okay. So go ahead and tell us what... Uh, so what... we are supposed to be smelling uh, the fresh aroma of underripe bananas and notes of white pepper. Um, okay. Yeah, no. Mm-mm. No, I'm not. I'm not getting that. Negative, negative. Ghost Rider. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. <clears throat> I'm not getting that at all. So, uh, I don't know if I can real quick. Woof. Well, do you want me to go ahead and tell you what I taste? Yeah, let's go ahead and move on to taste. Yeah, you know, uh, you know those scented pine cones. <laughs> it tastes <laughs> like I'm eating a scented pine cone. That's what it tastes like. Oh my god, it's disgusting. Oh no. Oh, it smells like rum. It doesn't taste like rum. No, it tastes um, like you're t- drinking a scented pine cone. Um Sure does. <laughs> oh my lord, this is This is bad. In <laughs> Um This is the worst thing we've had since Wolfburn. I will I will put that down where we both agree that it is bad. This has been the worst thing since Wolfburn, which if oh. you don't remember that or weren't around for that, that was a very, very peaty, smoky scotch that uh, we had that Megan said tasted like ashtray water. <laughs> this is like biting into a Yankee candle. <laughs> that was, uh, Wolfburn was episode 12. Megan gave it a zero. I gave it a half being nice. Um, um Yeah. This is biting into a Yankee candle, actively chewing on a pine tree, that pine forest Yankee candle. Like it, it even, it even, it even tastes waxy to me, like a fake pine cone. Like Tyler was, oh, this is horrific. (laughs) I'm going to keep drinking because mama didn't raise no quitter, but. Nope. We got to finish it. Woof. Um, Woof. Well. Megan, uh, you go ahead and talk. Finish talking about that. While you do that, I am going to smell the Metallica blackened whiskey. Um, I have had this before. I had this at uh, friend Shelby's Shelby's brother, John. John mm-hmm. Five um, has this, and I have. Uh, I believe I've had it with him. It's been a while. It's been a long time. I didn't have it on this most recent trip. I think it was the previous trip to his house. Um. So, yeah, we'll I wish, see. I wish I was drinking blackened. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, I saw what Megan rated it. Big freaking surprise. I knew you'd be annoyed. So we are supposed to be tasting the balanced flavors of fruit and rye with notes of white pepper and toasted sesame. It's a bitter finish with touches of honey and vanilla. Wrong, 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 wrong. All that's wrong. It tastes like fake Christmas pine cone slash pine forest Yankee candle. <laughs> that's that's about as appropriate as I can get right there, folks. Yep, I can't. There's nothing else I can say about this right now. We just, just, bleh. well, have you smelled blackened like that? Enjoy that. That's nice. We like blackened. Well, I've smelled it, but I think my I think my entire taste buds and and, and everything's ruined. Yeah, right now. I think it's absolutely destroyed. You I should have coffee. I should have said I was not going to focus on Breckenridge. Um, let me see if I can make this mm. happen. Hold on. Mm. I supposedly, if you smell the crease in your arm, if you're on YouTube, you'll see me rolling my sleeve up here. Fuck. Yeah, supposedly, if you smell the crease in your arm, it resets your palate. So. We're gonna we're gonna find out. I don't know how that works for taste, but oh, we're both over here just smelling our. Sorry, elbows. I just whacked the. Thing. Um, I mean, I still taste it in my mouth, so it didn't get. Well, rid of yeah, it. this is you're smelling your elbow, not oh. licking it. <laughs> Should I lick it? I don't know, but I'm smelling blackened. So. This is horrific. I don't want to drink this. Oh, I'm gonna have to. Well, well, Tyler checks out Blackened, um, let's talk a little bit about one of our sponsors today. So, your privacy matters, which is why we've partnered with NordVPN to keep our podcast friends safer on the internet. Using NordVPN keeps your browsing and information private while giving you access to an encrypted cloud to store your files and generating special passwords to make getting hacked nigh impossible. We love NordVPN because of how much their service helps us during our wonder research. Using NordVPN allows us access to streaming services across the globe, letting us watch documentaries that aren't currently available to American servers. With the click of a button, NordVPN can make it appear as if I'm in the UK, allowing me access to the European library on Netflix. Tune into episode 45 of Whiskey and Wonder to learn about the importance of cybersecurity and get a whopping 68% off a two-year subscription of NordVPN when you visit our website, whiskeyandwonder.com, and head over to our sponsor page and click on our NordVPN link. That sounded very professional, Megan. Thank you. So I'm going to be honest about black, and I'm not getting any kind of crazy notes. It smells like bourbon. Okay. Maybe that's because... You just have pine cone in your mouth? Yeah. I I still taste it. I have not drank it in like five minutes, and I still can taste it. Um, I'm sorry. Whoever gave this to us, I apologize. I we, we, don't, we don't mean to shit all over this, but it's pretty shit worthy. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm going to try... Uh, like I said, I can't really get anything. Just your typical oak, vanilla kind of smell off of blackened. So. All right. Tyler's going in for a sippy, swirling it around his mouth, making little tasty smacks, nodding his head for those of you guys not on YouTube. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, so uh, the finish is oaky. Um, there was some definitely some sweet and then kind of in the in the middle range some fruit popped in there obviously i just had the one little sip so i don't know exactly you know i'm gonna need a little more time to figure out what what those are uh since this is kind of an abridged version i'm not gonna dive into too much detail um like i said i have had this before it's been a long time but i think i remember what i thought about it and so far from that little taste, it's pretty much on par with what I thought about it. So we'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Um, yeah, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I might drink all of this and then drink all of that. Probably what I'll do. Um, but I will give you a rating on both of these at the end. So, <sighs> Megan is struggling. No, she took a she took a sip while I was talking at, towards the end and had to reach for the drink. 
And I can go ahead and tell you, I have made a mistake. I have bought this smart water bottle, and I'm going to need to put some water in, and I can't really get in and out of that. So, Just pop it open and like yeah, pour maybe, water in it. Yeah, maybe Just I dilute can, the fuck out of it. Maybe I can get my get my finger in there or something. But <laughs> all right, well, uh, now uh, have we we've done everything whiskey whiskey related? So uh, we'll go on, and and Megan will teach us something today. We had to have a little discussion to like give each other hints about our topics to make sure we didn't do the same thing. So with that said, we'll move on. It's time for the wonder segment. All right. The 1970s were basically the wild west of airline travel. With very few rules and regulations, it was simple to walk right into an airport and board a plane to any destination with very little red tape to get through. Which is how one of the craziest hijackings in U.S. history happened, which in turn led to a mystery that remains unsolved to this day. (laughs) Today, we are going to learn about the mystery and what we know of the man who committed the crime, D.B. Cooper. Well, Megan can officially say she's taken one off my list. Woohoo! I knew as soon as you said 1970s airline, I was like, God. Bless America. You've done it to me before. It's only I time. Have. Only fair that you get some payback. I can't drink this whiskey. I was going to take another sip, but it's going to throw off my entire reading. So let's just move on. On November 24th, 1971, the day before Thanksgiving, a man wearing sunglasses and carrying a black briefcase approached the ticketing counter at the Portland International Airport. He wore his he wrote his name down as Dan Cooper. Subsequent reporters later on misheard the name as D.B. Cooper, and the moniker stuck. He purchased a one-way ticket with cash for Northwest Orient Airlines Flight 305 to Seattle. The flight was just 35 minutes from Portland to SeaTac, Seattle-Tacoma International Airport. Witnesses said Cooper was a white male, probably in his mid-40s, wearing a black business suit, a white shirt, and a black clip-on tie, which will be important to remember later. Clip on. Come on, son. That is the one downside. He wore a clip on tie rather than an actual tie. But other than that, this is potentially an American hero because he is a badass. Anyway, he boarded the Boeing 727 and took seat 18E in the last row right by the flight attendant's jump seat. He ordered a bourbon and soda. I read multiple reports that it was a bourbon and a 7-Up specifically and he waited for takeoff. The plane was carrying 37 passengers and six crew members. Shortly after the plane was in the sky, Cooper slipped a note to the stewardess, a woman named Florence Schaffner. Florence at first assumed that the note was his number, some sort of pickup, and initially ignored it. How are you doing? (laughs) Basically. Instead, she just, like, discarded the paper in her pocket. But after she passed by a second time, Cooper stopped her, reportedly saying, Miss, you'd better look at that note. I have a bomb. And with a felt-tip pen, he'd written, Miss, I have a bomb in my briefcase. I want you to sit by me. She obliged and sat by the man and requested to see the bomb. He opened the attache, and she could see a mess of wires, some red sticks, and batteries. And in my opinion, there's no fucking way that that was an actual bomb. The brazen way he carries it, just it doesn't make any sense to me if it was an actual explosive, especially when later on, spoiler alert, he jumps out of the plane with this briefcase bomb. Like, I think he just like shoved like a broken clock and like some like red candlesticks and like a sieve battery in here and like threw some wires on top and was like, bomb, rather than it being an actual bomb. Maybe. But maybe he just didn't care. Possibly, but I digress. Cooper told Schaefner his demands, $200,000 in cash, two front parachutes, and two back parachutes. $200,000 in 1971 is equal to about $1,465,664 in 2023 money. So, 1.4 mil. His demands also included that upon landing in Seattle... He'd hold the passengers aboard hostage while fuel trucks refueled the plane and the money was brought on board. 
Once Cooper had the money, he would let the passengers go. And then the last request was that the parachutes would be brought aboard by a flight attendant that he kind of roped into being his minion, not uh, Schaffner, but another one who I'm going to talk about literally right now. Because Florence Schaffner went to the cockpit to inform the pilot of his demands, and flight attendant Tina Mucklow sat next to Cooper to act as a liaison between Cooper and the flight crew in the cockpit. Captain William A. Scott informed Seattle-Tacoma Airport Air Traffic Control of the situation, and SeaTac ATC contacted local police and the FBI. The passengers were told their arrival in Seattle would be delayed because of a, quote, minor mechanical difficulty. Donald Nyrop, the president of Northwest Orient, authorized payment of, a, of the ransom and ordered all employees to cooperate with the hijacker and comply with his demands. For approximately two hours, Flight 305 circled the Puget Sound to give Seattle police and the FBI sufficient time to assemble Cooper's ransom money and parachutes and mobilize emergency personnel. During the flight from Portland to Seattle, Cooper demanded flight attendant Mucklow remain by his side at all times. Mucklow said Cooper appeared familiar with the local terrain. While looking out of the window, Cooper remarked, looks like Tacoma down there, as the aircraft flew above it. Cooper also correctly noted McCord Air Force Base was only a 20-minute drive from the SeaTac airport. Mucklow later described the hijacker's demeanor as not nervous. He seemed rather nice, and he was not cruel or nasty. While the plane circled Seattle, Mucklow chatted with Cooper and asked why he picked Northwest Airlines to hijack, and Cooper replied, quote, It's not because I have a grudge against your airlines. It's just because I have a grudge. Which is one of the most metal fucking quotes to say when you're hijacking an airplane. No? Okay. Uh. <laughs> okay. Um, FBI agents used several banks in Seattle in the Seattle area to assemble the ransom. The money, 10,000 unmarked $20 bills, most of which that had serial numbers beginning with L, indicating issuance by the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco, was photographed on microfilm by the FBI. Cooper rejected the military-issue parachutes offered by the McCord Air Force Base personnel and demanded for civilian parachutes with manually op operated ripcords. Seattle police obtained the two front reserve parachutes from a local skydiving school and the two back or main parachutes from a local stunt pilot. Around 524 Pacific Standard Time, Captain Scott was informed that the parachutes had been delivered to the airport and notified Cooper that they would soon be landed. Landing. At 546, Flight 305 landed at Seattle-Tacoma Airport. Scott asked Cooper's permission, and Cooper agreed, to park the aircraft on a partially lit runway away from the main terminal. Cooper demanded only one representative of the airline could approach the plane with the parachutes and money, and only entrance and exit would be through the aircraft's front door via the mobile air stairs. Northwest Orient Seattle operations manager Al Lee was designated to be the courier who would approach the aircraft with the items Cooper requested. To avoid the possibility that Cooper might mistake Lee's airline uniform for that of law enforcement, he changed into civilian clothes for the task. With the passengers remaining seated, a ground crew attached the mobile staircase, per Cooper's directive. Mucklow exited the aircraft through the front door and retrieved the ransom money. When Mucklow returned, she carried the money bag past the seated passengers to Cooper, who remained seated in the last row. Cooper then agreed to release the passengers, and as the passengers debarked, Cooper inspected the money. In an attempt to break the tension, Mucklow jokingly asked Cooper if she could have some of the money. Cooper readily agreed. He handed Mucklow a packet of bills, but she immediately returned the money and explained that accepting gratitudes was against company policy. Mucklow said Cooper had tried to tip her and the other two flight attendants earlier in the flight with money from his own pocket, but they too had declined, citing the company policy. Which, fuck company policy. If someone offers to tip you, take the money. What the company doesn't do. No. Oh, there's that weird scratchy noise again. I hope it's not picking up. Yeah, me too. <laughs> With passengers safely debarked, only Cooper and the six crew members remained aboard Flight 305. In accordance with Cooper's demands, Mucklow made three trips outside the aircraft to retrieve the parachutes and brought them to Cooper in the rear of the plane. While Mucklow brought aboard the parachutes, Schaefner asked Cooper if she could retrieve her purse stored in the compartment behind his seat. Cooper agreed and told, 
Schaffner, I won't bite you. Flight attendants Alex Han- Alice Hancock then asked Cooper if the flight attendants could leave, to which Cooper replied, whatever you girls would like. So Hancock and Schaffner deba- debarked. When Mucklow brought the final parachute to Cooper, she gave him printed instructions for the parachutes, but Cooper said he didn't need them. A problem with refueling caused a delay, so a second truck and then a third were brought to the aircraft to complete the refueling. During the delay, Mucklow said that Cooper complained the money was delivered in a cloth bag instead of a knapsack as he had directed, and he now had to improvise a new way to transport the money. Using a pocket knife, Cooper cut the canopy from one of the reserve parachutes and stuffed some of the money into the empty, into the empty parachute bag. Cooper gave the handful of crew members his flight plans to chart a course southeast towards Mexico City. The captain was told to fly as slow as possible without stalling the aircraft, only about 100 knots, which is 115 miles per hour, and to fly only a maximum of 10,000 feet in the air. The landing gear must remain out, the cabin unpressurized, and the wing flaps lowered 15 degrees. First Officer William J. Radizak informed Cooper that the flight configuration Cooper had specified limited the aircraft's range to only about 1,000 miles, so a second fueling would be necessary before entering Mexico. Cooper and crew discussed options and agreed on on the Reno-Tahoe International Airport as the next refueling stop. Cooper further directed the aircraft to take off with the rear exit door open and its air stair extended. Northwest Home Office objected. Leaving the aft staircase deployed during takeoff was unsafe. Cooper countered the procedure was safe, saying, It can be done. Do it. But Cooper did not argue the point and said he would lower the staircase once they were airborne. Around 7.40 p.m., Flight 305 took off with only Cooper, Mucklow, Captain Scott, First Officer Radizak, and Flight Engineer Harold E. Anderson aboard the aircraft. Two F-106 fighters from the McCord Air Force Base and a Lockheed T-33 trainer diverted from an unrelated Air National Guard mission and followed the 727. All three jets maintained S flight patterns to stay behind the slow-moving 727 and out of Cooper's view. The biggest issue, though, was that because the 727 was flying so slow, these jets literally could not fly slow enough to keep the plane in their range. Um, They literally had to, like, try to circle it and keep it in view, and it just was not, not working. After takeoff, Cooper told Mucklow to lower the aft staircase. Mucklow told Cooper and the flight crew that she feared being sucked out of the aircraft. The flight crew suggested Mucklow come to the cockpit and retrieve an emergency rope with which she could tie herself to a seat. Cooper rejected the suggested suggestion, stating he did not want Mucklow going up front or the flight crew coming back to the cabin. Mucklow continued to express her fear to Cooper and asked him to cut some cord from one of the parachutes to create a safety line for her. Cooper then told Mucklow he would lower the stairs himself, instructed Mucklow to go to the cockpit to close the curtain partition that separated coach and first class and to not return. Before she left, Mucklow begged Cooper, please, please take the bomb with you. Cooper responded he would either disarm the bomb or take it with him. As Mucklow walked to the cockpit and turned to close the curtain partition, she saw Cooper standing in the aisle tying what appeared to be the money bag around his waist. From the moment of takeoff to when Mucklow entered the cockpit, only four to five minutes had elapsed. For the rest of the flight to Reno, Mucklow remained in the cockpit. Mucklow was the last person to see the hijacker. Around 8 p.m., a cockpit warning light flashed, indicating the aft staircase had been activated. The pilot used the cabin intercom to ask Cooper if he needed assistance, but Cooper's last message was a one-word reply. No. Suddenly, the crew's ears popped, The cabin air pressure had dropped because the aft door was open, and at approximately 8.13 p.m., the aircraft's tail section suddenly pitched upwards, forcing the pilots to trim and return to the aircraft to level flight. In his interview with the FBI, co-pilot Bill Radizak said the sudden upward pitch occurred while the flight was near the suburbs of North Portland. With the aft cabin door open and the staircase deployed, the flight crew remained in the cockpit, but were now unsure if Cooper were still aboard. Mucklow used the cabin intercom to inform Cooper they were approaching Reno, and he needed to raise the stairs so the plane could land safely. 
Mucklow repeated her request as pilots made the final approach to land, but neither Mucklow nor the flight crew received a reply from the hijacker. At 11.02 p.m., with the aft staircase still deployed, Flight 305 landed at Reno Tahoe International Airport. FBI, FBI agents, state troopers, sheriff deputies, and Reno police established a perimeter around the aircraft, but fearing the hijacker and the bomb were still aboard, did not approach the plane. Captain Scott searched the cabin, confirmed Cooper was no longer aboard, and after a 30-minute search, an FBI bomb squad declared the cabin safe. D.B. Cooper had jumped out of the plane with the money and disappeared into the night. Or did he? he I don't know. Did he? Oh, no. I have to take a sip of this fucking whiskey. Oh, yeah. I've been putting it off, too. I've been drinking the blackened. Mm-hmm. Got some nice caramel flavor out of it. Now, that's a face right there. You guys, if you're not on YouTube, you should go <laughs> check it out. <clears throat> I hate this so much. Woof. Oh, sorry, guys. <laughs> uh, made me tear up. I don't like it. Oh, yeah. Well. Oh, nasty. All right. The inclement weather that night prevented the police from searching the grounds until the next day. Uh-oh, Tyler, help. <laughs> oh, Megan needs help. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> uh, she's... This whiskey has got her coughing up a lung. Oh, it's so bad. I'm sorry, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Please. <laughs> um, well, you know what? The lovely thing is, this is a spiced whiskey. It is not a bourbon. It cannot it can't go, go in the, bottle. the infinity bottle. Thank God. Oh, thank goodness. It goes Oof. into the other tab, and it, yes. can, it can go there to die. Yeah, so does Blackened. I think is oh I guess no blackened is a mixture of a bourbon and a rye. Uh, it's a blend of straight whiskey. Uh, well, I think the website said it's bourbons and ryes. That's but, just what the bottle says. Yeah, but it's just a whiskey. All right. So the inclement weather that night prevented police from searching the grounds until the next day. That Thanksgiving, and for several weeks afterwards, the police performed an extensive search that failed to turn up any trace of the hijacker or the parachute. The police began searching criminal records for the name Dan Cooper, just in case the hijacker used his real name, but had no luck. One of their early results, however, would prove to have a lasting impact on the case. A police record for an Oregon man named D.B. Cooper was discovered and considered a possible suspect. Although he was quickly cleared by the police, an eager and careless member of the press accidentally confused that man's name for the alias given by the hijacker. And this simple mistake was then repeated by another reporter, quoting that information, and so on and so on, until the entire media was using the catchy moniker. And so the original, Dan Cooper, became known as D.B. for the rest of the investigation. The FBI began an intensive investigation called NORJAC, or Northwest Hijacking, but by the five-year anniversary, they had investigated over 800 suspects and had eliminated all but about two dozen of them. Charges for air piracy were filed in 1976 and still stand to this day. On February 10, 1980, an eight-year-old boy found bundles of $20 bills with serial numbers matching the ones from the Cooper stash in the Columbia River. Some people believe that this evidence helped support the theory that Cooper didn't survive. The discovery of these bundles led to new searches around the area. However, an eruption of Mount St. Helens on May 18, 1980, likely destroyed any remaining clues about the Cooper case. Over the years, many have confessed to being Dan Cooper. The FBI has quietly examined some of these cases, but has yet to turn up anything useful. They checked the fingerprints of those who confess against the known against the unknown prints collected from the hijacked plane, and so far none have been a match. In August 2011, Maria Cooper made claims that Dan Cooper was her uncle, L.D. Cooper. Marla claimed that she overheard a conversation saying their money problems were over and that they had hijacked a plane. Somewhat contradictory, however, she also explained that no money was ever recovered since her uncle lost it while he was jumping. Although many people have identified Dan Cooper as one of their long-lost relatives, Marla's Cooper's claims seem to come closest to the truth. One of the flight attendants on that flight even identified L.D. Cooper as looking similar to the hijacker. 
This theory, however, is not one that authorities deem likely. You know, I actually, uh, my great uncle is D.B. Cooper. Really? No. Well, fuck. (laughs) I don't think anybody would actually come out and say it at this point. Uh, Probably not. It's, well, it's not actually an active investigation anymore. They closed it in, uh, I think, 2016. We're going to talk about that in a second. But it is still an active uh, crime, I guess. Like, the charges are still holding, so... If you are out there, D.B. Cooper, don't come forward yet. Or do. I mean, you're old at this point. Like, What are they going to do? Yeah. You're on your deathbed anyway. Might as well let us know. Yeah. Anyway, one of the primary suspects considered, and still one that tops the conspiracy list, is Richard Floyd McCoy. McCoy committed a very similar hijacking just months after Cooper's. He flew to Denver from Salt Lake City on the 7th of April in 1972. In Colorado, McCoy boarded United Airlines Flight 855, a Boeing 727 flying from Newark, New Jersey, to Los Angeles, California, with 85 passengers, three flight crew, and three cabin crew on board, and that was, in, that was on a layover to refuel in my home state. He made very similar demands to what D.B. Cooper had done four months earlier, only asking for $500,000 instead of $200,000. And as with Cooper... The airline complied with his demands. Then, like Cooper, he skydived in the middle of his flight to escape justice. The jump was successful. However, the FBI arrested McCoy three days later and were quickly able to prove that he had been the hijacker. He was indicted on the 14th of April and found guilty two months later. Most likely, his crime was a copycat of Cooper's. It wasn't as well executed, and though he was similar in appearance to the descriptions of D.B. Cooper, witnesses said they did not believe McCoy to be the same man. He was convicted to a 45-year sentence, and while in prison, fashioned a gun out of dental paste and escaped prison with a group of under convicts who stole a garbage truck and crashed it through a wall on August 10, 1974. The FBI caught up with McCoy three months later on November 9th, 1974, in Virginia Beach, Virginia. When he met agents in his home, he opened fire upon them and died in the shootout. He maintained his innocence of both his convicted hijacking and of being D.B. Cooper until the day he died. And one of the most damning pieces of evidence to D.B. Cooper's identity was the clip-on tie that I mentioned back at the beginning of the segment. For some reason, before he jumped out of the airplane, Cooper shucked off his tie and left it behind. And there's DNA on them there, cloth. What was he doing, jerking it on the cloth or something? <laughs> like a Monica Lewinsky or something? <laughs> um, they haven't been able to identify the DNA, but how? But Eric Ullis, known for his History Channel and Discovery Channel investigations on Cooper's case, said he had made a breakthrough in the investigation, according to Fox 13 Seattle. During a press conference in Vancouver on Friday, November 11th, 2022, Ullis said the black tie that belonged to Cooper that he left on the plane has answers. Quote, the tie has actually given us three very important particles that I would consider very significant, Ulis said during the press conference. It appears to be something that can amount to commercial DNA that points to a very specific company and a very specific division within the company at a very specific time. Ulis said he analyzed the 2017 lab reports that showed an abundance of unique metal particles were found on the tie. He was then able to match up just one Pennsylvania metal manufacturing company that was operational at the time that had special patents on those specific metals and alloys. He contacted the company and, the, and looked into employees who worked there in the 1960s and 70s and traveled to Pittsburgh, where the company was based. Ulis was able to narrow it down to eight researchers working on those specific metal-type projects at the time. In the press In the press conference, Ulis said a retired company manager recently told him an employee named Vince Peterson fit the bill for D.B. Cooper's description and was someone who regularly traveled to the Pacific Northwest on business for the company during that time period. Peterson died in 2002. Ulis spoke to his son, who does not believe that his father was D.B. Cooper. 
if Cooper managed to some survive the jump somehow, it would be miraculous. First, Cooper picked a terrible day to pull off the heist. It was quite stormy in the Pacific Northwest, and Cooper made his jump several hours after sunset, falling into a heavy rain and snowstorm that frequently strikes the Northwest in late November. There were thick clouds at 5,000 feet, which would have obscured where he was landing. Quote, No experienced parachutist would have jumped in the pitch black night in the rain with a 2,000 mile... <laughs> nope. <laughs> Let me try that again. No experienced parachutist would have jumped in the pitch black night in the rain with a 200 mile an hour wind in his face, wearing loafers and a trench coat. It was simply too risky, FBI Special Agent Larry Carr wrote in a 2007 case update. He also missed that his reserve chute was only for training and had been sewn shut, something a skilled skydiver would have checked. In all likelihood, Cooper ended up somewhere in the hilly or even mountainous terrain of southwestern Washington amid the extended rain and snowstorm. We don't know what the elevation was where Cooper landed, but weather data from Stampede Pass, which sits in the central Washington Cascades at 3,500 feet and likely about 100 to 150 miles north of where Cooper ended up, registered steady snowfall on November 24th and for four days after. There was just an inch of snow on the ground when dawn broke on the 24th, but by the 29th, there were 27 inches of snow with temperatures hovering in the upper 20s to near 30s throughout the period. The FBI had focused on an area of the lower terrain around Lake Merwin, even though that region had hills that stretched up as high as 2,000 to 2,500 feet in elevation. If the winds carried him further east, elevation rapidly increases. Data from Portland suggests that the heavy precip precipitation did extend into southern Washington and northern Oregon, it was raining there the night of the hijacking, and over 1.5 inches of additional rain fell in Portland in the two days after, suggesting very stormy conditions in the mountains and foothills, too. If Cooper ended up in the higher elevations, he fell into a snowstorm. If he landed in lower elevations, it was still pouring rain. Remember, Cooper was only wearing regular shoes and a business suit, hardly survivor gear for a jump in the middle of nowhere in the freezing temperatures and in a rugged terrain. He was likely soaked from the jump with little to no prospects of warmth, fire, or shelter amid the constant rain and or snowfall. It's sad to say, though his identity remains a mystery, D.B. Cooper most likely never got to spend the money he stole. But he did leave a lasting mark on the entirety of the aviation world, changing the way that security at airports ran forever. Forever. And that is D.B. Cooper. I think he I think he made it. You do? Yeah. I don't. I think he died in there, up in them there hills. No, I think you made it. I think that's wishful thinking, but I don't I don't think that's what happened. Maybe. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. Oh well, guys, I have finished the blackened. I have not had any more of the Breckenridge. <laughs> so, can't blame you. With that being said, trivia with Tyler. There it goes again. Yeah, I'm very concerned about that. Um, huh. Well, all right then. Uh, if you're on YouTube, let me get back to the screen. If you're on YouTube, you saw me take the biggest, uh, nastiest shot of my life. <laughs> I'm about to do it. I don't want to. I don't want to. Just oh. make sure you put some water in it. I did. Oh, I haven't put the water in it yet. All right. Um, so, <clears throat> the lead role in The Matrix we all know it was played by, by Keanu Reeves. Um, but he only got it after several other major 1990s actors turned it down. Uh, that list includes Will Smith, Brad Pitt, Leo DiCaprio, Val Kilmer, Sandra Bullock, and Nicolas Cage. Sandra Bullock? 
apparently. So sometimes it's better to be right place, right time. Facts. Keanu Reeves is a fucking hero. Yep, he's still making money off of that movie too. Um whew. All right. <laughs> I hated it. I hated every second of it. I don't want it. No shit. <laughs> um, I am... Water didn't help. Nothing helped. It is helpless. I don't even know if I would use this as a mixer. I don't know what to do with it. Um, Maybe we can use it to help add fuel to fires. Like, because it's alcohol. Like, we can use it as, like, a lighter fluid. <laughs> For fire pits. Well... Here goes nothing, y'all. This is how much I got left. Excuse I, me. Sorry, I just burped in the microphone. I'm going to... I, I added, sh- added two drops of water to this, so... Good luck. Maybe it'll do something for you. It did not for me. Um, It was nasty, and I, I'm sure you're going to be able to guess what I magically gave this uh, whiskey but I'm going to see what Tyler thinks of it with water in it first, because I don't think it did anything. Um, water did nothing. No, not a, maybe, 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 maybe it made it taste a little more like a scented pine cone. I don't, I don't know. Not, it, it still sucks. Yeah. Oh my God, that's bad. Um, I'm going to throw it out there. <clears throat> Much uh, for the same reason why I rarely, hardly ever give tens. I can't hardly ever rarely give zeros. And so even, even with Wolfburn, I gave it a half. But this is worse. <laughs> uh, I don't... I don't know if this is worse than Wolfburn, but it's been the worst thing we've had in a long, long time. time. I would rather. What did I give a zero? Very old Barton. I would. It's it's close. It's damn close. I very but old I would, Barton loses out of the water. I would rather drink very old Barton. Than this. Um, I would rather drink very old Barton, and I gave that a zero. So that this is. I'll just go ahead and chalk you down for a zero. Zero. Nasty. I'm ashamed. A a negative zero. Negative zero. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed of Breckenridge. She can't even talk. I can't. I'm so... I I feel it on my tongue. It's gross. I... Nasty. I... Man, Wolfburn was bad. Oh, I'm, I'm, I don't know what to put. I don't know because I don't know if Wolfburn was worse or just, I, you know what? I'm going to give it the same thing I gave Wolfburn. They were equally as bad. It's getting a 0.5. Mm. Ugh. Well, just, uh, uh. Well, uh, did <laughs> Megan's like, I don't know what to say. I don't have any. This is gross. I can't. Yeah. Sorry. I was writing notes on writing it down. Um, that way I can, I can add it to the website later. Uh, now we'll move on to blackened. Um, which I quite enjoyed. Yeah. Megan enjoyed it. She's going to take this bottle home cause it is hers. Uh, so <laughs> My memory of it was that it was pretty, uh, pretty um, down the middle. It's it's very. It's similar to a bourbon, you know. It's got the the oaky, the kind of sweet, little bit of burn. Did you try it with water? Yep. And that brought a little bit more of the sweetness out for me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, I, like I said, I have had this before, and I remember it being just slightly above average, and that's where it falls for me again, so I gave it a six. All right. I think, what, did Jamie also give it a six? Yep. So you and Jamie, similar taste on that one. When when I saw this sitting in here uh, the other the other day when I got back home, um, first number that popped in my head is I'm pretty sure I would have called that a six, and... After tasting it again, I would still call it a six. So, all right, fair, not bad, not the best, and I don't know how much it is. How much? How much does that bottle run? Do you remember? I cannot remember. It was in the. I think it's like forty-five. It was in the mid-range. Yeah, Mark. There's. It's okay. There's better stuff for that price, though. So, well, guys, you've been with us. It's been a long time since we've had something that bad. It what, has. What did we say? I mean, I... Episode old, 12. Yeah. Old Barton's I didn't like. I thought that was a zero, but Tyler enjoyed it. Yes, I did enjoy it. There's, it's, but... The last time we both thought we both something were was like, disgusting was episode, episode 12. Episode 12. It's been 90, 80-something 80, 80 episodes. Yep. 87. So. My God. Whew. Well... I guess we're going to wrap things up here. Um, if we only get a horrific one every 87 episodes, that's not bad. Yeah, that that's, that's not bad. That's pretty good I, statistics. I apologize to whoever sent Whoever this. got this for us, we I, are so sorry. Yeah. Uh, this ain't it. No. and It I, ain't even close to being it. I am so sorry because I Breckenridge love you. Don't love that. Mm-mm. Nasty. All right, guys. That being said. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to stop shitting on it now. <laughs> um, we are going to get out of here. And thank you so much for sticking around. Please take a moment to like, subscribe, rate, review, do all the wonderful, amazing things. Uh, definitely on YouTube. Help us out so we can uh, get up on the charts and get our own little URL thing going on. Um, thank you to all of our patrons, all of our donators, all of our sponsors, everyone who helps out. You guys do more than you realize, and we are here because of you, so thank you so much. Uh, we look forward to seeing you all next week, and that will be episode 100. 100 episodes For real down. this time. <laughs> Actually, episode 100. Um, all right, guys. I think that's all we have to say, so thank you so much. Don't drink and drive. Cheers. <laughs>